Good afternoon, everybody. It's Eddie Webb. We are here at the new Media Lab at Mesa Community College. And it is our pleasure to have our esteemed scholars with us, Dr. Mona Scott from Sociology, Professor Jaime Herrera. I think I rolled that R. <laughs> Good job. Both of these uh, faculty, uh, Mona and I actually started, I think, on the same day, went through the same training years ago. And uh, when I interviewed to work here, uh, Jaime was the only one in the room that smiled. <laughs> and I was, was like, oh, thank goodness. Um, but anyway, we are here today. We're going to have a conversation. And I'm going to have each one of them. Their, uh, their work over the last couple decades has been uh, remarkable in the programs that they run. Jaime has started a faculty development program in Mexico City. Mona has uh, led several programs, American Indian Study programs, our Hoop of Learning programs, uh, and I'm sure plenty of stuff I am not aware of. Elder residents, I'm really proud of that. <laughs> so I'm going to have each one of them introduce themselves, Dr. Scott. Yat A. Um, I have been teaching at MCC, like Eddie said, for a long time. So I've been here 21 years. I teach American Indian Studies and Sociology. I have historically worked with the Hoopa Learning here at MCC, but I've also worked at, uh, with the ACE students at uh, South Mountain Community College. I'm really proud of this Elder in Residence program. Well, it's, it was a pilot last year, but I'm hoping to continue it. And it's bringing a traditional Native elder to the college campus to work with students and to teach them um, about our protocols and um, our culture and just different ways of, of integrating their traditional culture into their lives at the college. And so I'm really excited about that program. I'm also passionate about sociology because I think um, sociology is the one discipline I think that students come to the classroom knowing about, and I just give them a lens with which to organize their lives or look at it in new ways. So that's me in a nutshell. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Mona. Thank you. Um, my name is Jaime Herrera. I'm English faculty here at MCC, and I've been here longer than both of you com <laughs> combined, maybe. <laughs> 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I remember being on that search committee when, when, when we hired Eddie, a good hire. Um, and I've, you know, I've been able to do a lot of things with Maricopa. I had a study abroad program. Mona participated several years, took lots of students to Mexico. <clears throat> which is where I was raised, and part of what I want to do is show people Mexico, you know, from different from what they see in the news. Uh, and then I have a faculty development program that we've had for Maricopa uh, for about 11 years, and we've taken over 100 faculty from Maricopa to Mexico. We start in Mexico City, one of the greatest cities in the world. We have a partnership with the University of Guanajuato, so we go to the city of Guanajuato, which is right in the center of the country. It's a colonial city. They stay with a family, and they partner with a professor from the University of Guanajuato, and it's a really good program. And from what I've heard, it's one of the most unique programs we have in the U.S., partnering a, an American institution with a Mexican institution uh, with, with this type of programming for so many years. We have a good collaboration with them, and I'm very proud of, of both those programs. But, you know, I'm also on the Diversity and Equity and Inclusion Council because that's sort of always been, you know, what I've done. Uh, at MCC, and I'm very proud of that, too. Thank you, Eddie, for having me. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. I think uh, the work uh, just among the three of us here has been, uh, you know, pretty impressive. We've, ca we've caused some trouble. Yeah. It's yeah, okay. I wanna, and, and you know what? We're going to get right into that. All right. We're not going to mess around. Let's do today. this. I've been wanting to sit down <coughs> with you all and have this conversation for a long, long time. Skoden. Um, I think all of us bring a very... Uh, unique uh, experience and perspective to these issues. And um, so recently, uh, as the nation has uh, decided that enough is enough from African-American men and women being uh, murdered uh, on video, uh, by law enforcement that you know enough is enough and it's time to make a make a stand and and through that uh call to action it has uh 
that energy and, and intellect has uh, filtered its way through through the world, and as as has been, sort of lands into the lap of university and colleges like us, so scholars and people uh, often rise during that time with with, with uh, the work that they do and raising consciousness and awareness and disruption to uh, things that have always been. And <clears throat> and so we're in the middle of that. And out of that, uh, Mona, I saw your post on the, on the intranet, and I want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. I think that was, was the title White Supremacy or Whiteness? I think it was White Supremacy. <laughs> and I don't know. This is, you know, I'm constantly thinking about these issues. So... Um, I, I like to talk really about white supremacy because I think that is the word that um, gets people at people's attention. That's what we're dealing with. Uh, that is what no one wants to look at or address. So, um, and I just want to say that um, even though um, the nation is has, is finally looking at these issues. This is this has been my life. These That's issues, right. and so every time I talk about it, like right now, my heart rate is up. I'm starting to sweat because um, these issues are so important. I mean, this is what I teach. This is what I think about and live and breathe. Um, and for me, it's like it's it's I don't even call it second nature. This is this is my world. And so it's it's been refreshing to see the nation now see what my world is, uh, to see the anger, um, the righteous anger that has come out of it. Like, I feel like, OK, good. Finally, people are seeing what I have been living my entire life. And so the article that was posted um, came out of a group of faculty, staff, and students who came together after um, the after George Floyd was murdered by um, Minneapolis police, and we decided we wanted to start making statements, um, writing statements to bring awareness to these issues because the problem with racism is that people don't want to talk about it, N especially at an educational institute where institution where we're supposed to be above you know the everyday things we're supposed to be intellectuals who can solve problems and the reality is no one wants to address the issue of white supremacy and racism especially at, at a college campus and not only do they not want to do it um, they turn a blind eye blind eye to it they skirt around the issues and the reality is most leaders don't even know how to solve these problems it's and this is where we are. And so we're working with a lot of leaders who really are ignorant about how to achieve equity, how to engage black students, how to pull students of color through the college um, and get them at the same level as white students. And so they don't know how to do it. And, and really, this, this is what we're dealing with. What is the difference between white supremacy and white privilege? So... Supremacy, white supremacy, is the system. It is this whole entire system that is the foundation of our society. Um, it organizes our institutions, whether it's the institution of the family, our religious organizations, our colleges, the government. So it is a system that is in place, and um, the system because it was created by white men who came from other countries, the system gives benefits, unearned benefits, to people who, who look like the crafters of this system. And so the privilege are those, un white privilege are the unearned benefits that white people, mostly white heterosexual men, um, get simply because they look like the founders of this nation. Um, and so white supremacy is the system um, and white privilege is what um, people who look like the creators of the system, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the ease with which they can move through society. You know, they don't have to worry about police brutality at the same level as blacks. I mean, yes, everybody can be brutalized by the police and every racial group and gender has been brutalized by the police. But when we look at um, the proportion of a population who's, who experiences police brutality, um, hands down, it's Native people, 
and then black people when we look at proportions. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's it. It's, it's, I think I think it's good for our viewers to have a, a context of understanding not so much the differences as you just laid out, but the how they link together, how one precedes the other. Right. And then um Jaime, uh have you you're you're now on the is it D D D E I D E I. D -E -I. Well, yeah. Tell us about that. So DEI is a diversity, equity and inclusion committee on campus and it's a it's a new effort by the college to address what Mona's been talking about. And I've been here 30 years, and, you know, it's, it's a cyclical pattern. You know, we're always hopeful that, that we'll make a break in that pattern and make some changes and at least move the needle a little bit. But uh, there's, a, there's a district committee I'm on also, and then there's a college committee. And we're working to make some, co some changes in the college in terms of, of – uh, the, the institutionalization of, of privilege for a certain class of people. And it's been, it's been going on in MCC for like decades since the inception of this, of this college. Um, and in terms of, of privilege, I was struck by what Mona was saying that, you know, that this is, this, is what, this is what she battles every day. And Eddie, I know you do the same thing. And part of white privilege is people saying, you know what? I don't want to worry about that. I don't want yeah. to address it. I'm just going to walk right. away from this conversation. Mm -hmm. This thing, you know, George Floyd or whatever, it, it gets me up here in the head, mm -hmm. but it doesn't get me in the gut, you know. Mm -hmm. And for us, like Mona mm -hmm. said, you know, we, we, we get it in the gut <laughs> every yeah. day. And, and I can't, like, I can't walk away from it because it just, sometimes it just pisses me off. Right. Having been, like, my dad took me to my first AIM meeting, right? in 1975, I think. Yeah. And so uh, where I was uh, around and growing up, I grew up around a lot of these guys and a lot of the activism. And, and so my dad worked for the tribe. I was around and I mixed, so I got that whole thing. But, uh, but, what I, but over the years, and as these guys got, became young guys, older guys, elders, and then passed away, what I saw was the addiction to keep trying to make this system work for my community. Mm -hmm. And the conclusions I finally got to was inherent sovereignty. And I've been going to ceremonies since I was 15. And that's where I was at. You know, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, every time I spend my time trying to do that, I'm taking away time of being authentic and building the things that I want to build, right? And instead of trying to get the approval of these people who I never will, this is, I mean, I'm just saying this is where I'm at at the, at the moment. I spent years, you know, doing all that stuff, walking, protesting in the middle. I mean, I was in the Standing Rock, you know? I mean, I, I spent years on that, on that level, and over time I realized I don't want to play with these guys anymore because it's it's futile, right? <clears throat> now, I could be uh, – uh, I understand that we need an equal, you know, a balance, right, between all of these powers, but that's where I'm at. That's what I say. You know, I could go over here and fight this stuff, or I could build an American Indian Studies program and focus on that. You know, that's that's where I'm at, if that makes any sense. And that was my dissertation, was inherent educational yeah. sovereignty. Right. Right, like I want to I want to keep learning my language. I want to support the people that are, right? And so, so uh, you know, that's yeah. that that's where I'm, I'm at at the moment in, in life. But, but believe me, there are days where I have to be careful, man, because I'll come unhinged at the, you know, because I see it. Right. Yeah, I think, um, so, and I think this is how, like, for people of color, I think we must, we must move through different phases in, yeah. in justice. So, you know, I have my moments where I am hardcore all in, I'm yelling at folks, and then I have to retreat. And so by just focusing on sovereignty and focusing on American Indian stu studies, that's where you retreat because that feels good. You know that the work that you're producing is valued, it's accepted by people. 
Um, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel whole. Um, and so I did that. I did retreat. And if you look at my CV, there's like a chunk of like six years. I haven't done anything because it's exhausting. It That's is right. so exhausting, you know, as a woman of color, as a person of color, going to meetings at, at an institutional, <laughs> at an educational institution saying, hey, this is what we need to do, um, especially when it requires, when it comes to equity and diversity, and then, you know, what you say is is not um, taken at face value, it's not appreciated, and then a white person um, can say the exact same thing, and there's all this praise around it. And so, you know, like, it is exhausting, constantly fighting, and then, and also, it's like, Sometimes I feel like if you've seen um, what's the show with The Rock now, The Rock and and Kevin Hart and Jumanji, the second Jumanji or third Jumanji. <laughs> there's the guy, there's the character, the guy that can read the map, you know, yeah. and only that character can read it. So I feel like I have this map on how to do this work. And just because other people can't see the map that I see, that it doesn't make sense. And so for me, like a lot of the work that we need to do I can say, this is what we need to do. And then I get all these questions like, oh, we can't do that. Or why would you want to do that? And it's just like, oh, my gosh, can you not see what's happening? Like the inequalities just at our college, like they've we've had racial inequalities at this college since I got here 21 years ago. And I'm sure Jaime can say when he got here 30 years ago, there were racial inequalities yeah. among students and their their transfer and graduation rates among hiring faculty. Um, it, you know, the inequalities are so glaring. And yet people want to say, oh, no, this is this is just how it is. No, no, no. It's not how it is. Right. This is how white people make it. This yeah. is what's comfortable. Um, and so if white people can make a system of white supremacy and subscribe to it and and keep reifying it, well, then certainly we can challenge the system and change the system. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, so uh, when I was first hired, I was actually recruited out of, out of El Paso. I was teaching at a community college there, and a couple of faculty from here called me sight unseen and offered me a job because that was the way it was back then for OYO. So my wife and I, we just got married. We were young. What the heck? Let's go to Mesa. So I came to Mesa, and I left a system that was probably 80% Hispanic students to like 10% Hispanic students. <laughs> I mean, talk about culture shock. Mm-hmm. I went through a lot of culture shock. So I imagine some of our students who are Native mm-hmm. American or black or Latino going through that similar culture shock. I was a little bit more prepared. I had a degree. I was professional. I had a job. And some of our students don't have that. So... One of the things I've always worked for at the college is to make sure that we have a more diverse faculty. Unfortunately, we've taken a step backwards in the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I need a break too. And for me, my break, and ironically, I guess it fulfills some of the racist sentiments of, of some people, I go back to where I came from. I go back to Mexico. So I have studied abroad in Mexico. Mm-hmm. I do faculty development in Mexico. I go back to Mexico any chance I get because in Mexico, Eddie, I can breathe. Right. I can breathe and mm-hmm. I can be okay. And I don't feel as I'm as if I'm always under the lens and people are surprised because I teach English and you speak English so well. And you don't have an accent. And, and, you know, it's like, where were you born? And do you have U.S. citizenship here? You know, and all this stuff you're constantly sort of on guard yeah. to defend who you are in a system mm-hmm. that doesn't recognize your contributions as well yeah. as it recognizes the contributions of other people. I don't know if they still have them, but in the in the Kirk Center, there used to be the wall with all these past presidents, past officers, past something. Yeah. And it was like lily, it was lily the white. white it was so mm-hmm. white. It was so white. I don't know if we still have that, but that's know. just the way this place has been for a long, long time. Well, I I can tell you, you know, uh, in the last many, many years, I go home and we've been doing documentary work on the language revitalization. And you're right. I mean, there's there's no better feeling in the world to be there with your own folks and you're doing your, you're not trying to, you know, you're not getting permission from anybody. You're not trying to get, ex- you're just there and you're being who you are in the context of this uh, 
you know, community and culture. And it is, I sleep good at night, man. You know, just the, the healing. And I wonder, I, uh, Jaime and I, uh, over the years have talked and I, I went to a gentleman that was, uh, uh, you know, been here a long, long, long time and in high leadership and asked him if he'd ever had to come to school one day and fight to be a white man <laughs> and to put his mortgage mm -hmm. on the line and his job on the line and his salary on the line, right? And, and it was yeah. like, no, never. That's white privilege. Yeah. And so the pressures of like just sitting here and talking about this, you know, like you said, your heartbeat goes mm -hmm. up, you know, you get nervous. I mean, it's those people <clears throat> that have to, that have this charge in life to, to speak. Um, I think it's critical, you know, that we have we have like what we're trying to do here now. Well, let's talk about this. Let's normalize uh talking about this and at right. least you know make it where we we are scholars to examine this sort of stuff because you have all of that theory that uh people tend to gravitate to what who they are so here we just have this repetitive of hiring because of the hiring committee you know what yeah. I mean? and i want this is what i i've said too for many many years the faculty are not going to come here unless they have programs to grow in. Like if there's not a strong American Indian studies program or, uh, you know, Mexicano program or Chicano study program or African-American. I mean, if we don't build those things, why would a faculty, you know, why come here? For so what? I want to, I want to address something you said earlier and then okay. I, I, I'll speak to that. So, you know, when talking about hiring committees and people hire people who are like them, um, that's true in, in a lot of ways. Um, but again, this is where white supremacy comes in. Again, white supremacy um, values white people. White supremacy teaches us all, people of color and whites, that white people are more intelligent, are smarter, more capable. Um, and so even when you have people of you can have people of color on a hiring committee, but if they are not conscious, if they are not aware right. of, of, of white supremacy and how it operates, if they are oppressed, if they are experiencing internalized oppression or internalized racism, well, they're not going to hire someone that looks like them. But again, if you, as a person of color, have these ideas that white people are smarter and better and, and can and do this work and people of color don't uh, work as well or aren't as intelligent, then as a person of color, you will um, reify the system. You will um, hire other white people um, and not people of color. And so there's, there is some self-hatred that we as people of color experience um, and it's, it's about, it's about the messages of white supremacy. And these are historical, um, things that have happened to us as people of color, because when we think about slavery, you know, yes, white people had the power and the germs, uh, to enslave native and black people. Um, and you could have enslaved, I mean, the world has a history of slavery. You can enslave people and then later on bring them into your family or release them. Um, but what we did, or what they did in the United States, is we said, you know, there's something about you. You are not quite human. You are lower on the That's evolution right. scale. And so you are a thing, an object. And so that legacy of slavery is here today. And so I swear, white people all the time say, forget about slavery. I, I had nothing to do with slavery. It's no, 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 no. Slavery, the remnants are here with us today. The fact that you can say, forget about slavery as a white person, like that is the legacy of slavery that, that black people in this country really are seen as things. So, so they're, you know, white, even good white people will never say, uh, I see black people as less than white people, but your behaviors um, indicate it. Uh -huh. the, the, your lack, your, your, um, your um, aversion to talking about issues of race, your aversion to having really good friends of color, like all these things, like this is tied to that legacy of anti-blackness or legacy of racism or slavery that is now anti-blackness. 
So, so that's the part about hiring committees. Cause, uh, and I just wanted to say that even people of color, we have internalized racism and, and we subscribe to white supremacy. Yeah. We uphold white supremacy. Um, and then also, yes, so part of the white supremacist culture of the college is that ethnic studies, American Indian studies, multicultural centers, the American Indian Institute, these are places that are not valued. These are places that are seen as special programs. And so if we hire a full-time faculty in these areas or full-time staff people or staff a whole office to, to offer support, that's special. You're getting some special privilege. And so, um, you know, these this is this is white supremacy in action. It's in our policies, it's in the way we think about people of color and and programs that support us. And and no one's thinking about this larger picture of these deep inequalities. So why do we why do black and native students not graduate nationally and at MCC at rates of white students? Is it because we're not um, giving those students something to hold on to? Are we not um, you know, talking about them um, in in our classrooms, about their history and their culture and making them feel at home here. Yeah, that's what's happening. And so we're not connecting white supremacy as an organizing system to the actual data, um, to the actual experiences of students of color. Um, and so, th so that's a problem. And again, this goes back to our leadership. Our leadership really does not have the tools the know-how, the strategies to make equity happen. And, and this is not just at MCC. I, I'm talking about nationally. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, and, sorry. you know, that, no. Long-winded. No, <laughs> no this, is what, this is why we're here. We, we used to call that, uh, what they, the older, yeah, true colonialism. You know, where you, know, you, know you no longer need an army or right. anything that, could, you, that people internalize this. Right. Yeah. That's why I've always loved Paulo Freire, who speaks that. He says that it's the nature of the oppressed to imitate the oppressor and by such actions mm -hmm. gain relief from the oppressive condition, we must resist that response to wow. oppression. You know, and again, that's sort of where my head's at these days. I don't want to become like the thing that has colonized our communities to overcome colonization. That's right. the wrong thing. Right. It's like, you know, and then there was always the great law of peace, at least coming down, you know, from, from our part of the country, which... Uh, has been, you know, proven that the uh, Constitution was pulled from, but it was so corrupted to meet this idea of white male, mm -hmm. you know, even their own women couldn't vote mm -hmm. or own land, right? Mm -hmm. So the Native thought the great, you can see uh, this work where you have the wampums of what the the great law of peace was that became the part of the Constitution, and you could just see where they start mm -hmm. going off track and the irony of that, of course, is, you know, fighting for the American Revolution to break away from all of that and then by re recreating it. Right. And then again, what you said, I really like what you said earlier about colonizing our ideas, colonizing almost at every point you'll you'll find you know, that to be true. Uh, uh, an elder from a from a. Salt River gave us our name here, a place of belonging. And he explained that in his language and where it comes from and why that was important to the people here. And uh, and I see that popping up all over now. Right? And again, but it's gone back. That's in the, in the memory of indigenous people for thousands of years, that level of consciousness of belonging. But then it gets opted out and then you know and then the whole thing starts over um Jaime where are we going from here I don't know Eddie I'm going back to Mexico <laughs> where I'm going <laughs> you want to come with me I um, love Meg you know I do I Eddie I mean I'm I'm guardedly optimistic but I think a lot of it has to do with the history of this country you know I mean the the fact that people who came here and and not just to the U.S., but to the Americas, including the Spaniards, had this belief, and some of it, and I'm going to get crucified for this, some of it was ingrained in their Catholic or Christian beliefs mm -hmm. that wow. 
people were who were here were less than right. human. Yeah. So yeah, they were they were savages, you know, where there's plenty of evidence that there were many advanced societies on this oh. continent before the Europeans ever got here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's part of that's part of American history to look at others who are different as less than, yeah. you know, and it's complicated by religion, for example, it's complicated by history, it's complicated by immigration policies, mm-hmm. it's complicated by what we teach and do not teach our students at the community college. You know, I was I was aghast several years ago when the state passed that law that prohibited any kind of course that promoted cultural solidarity in the K through 12 system. I was like, how does this happen in the U.S.? Oh, in Tucson. In Tucson. Yeah. But it was, it was a statewide mandate. Right, yeah. Right? And, but now we have our president just a couple of weeks ago sort of saying president. the same thing. You know, if you teach <laughs> ethnic solidarity, you're teaching values that are un-American. And he, he likens it to, I think he anarchist. said something like anarchist, and he likens it to child abuse. You're oh, abusing yeah. children when you teach them these things. And, you yeah. know, and how do you, how do you function in a free democratic society in theory when you have that kind of thinking? So, so I don't know, Eddie, I think, I think these are good moments. I think these are very troubling moments, they're very difficult moments, they're very violent moments, but I'm hopeful that maybe we can move forward, uh, I think with the leadership and the experience that we have, we can, but we just have to, we just have to do it. Right? You just, just have to just move forward, whether people are getting it or not getting it right. and just, you know, move it a little farther and, and over time, you know, it, it, there will change will come, you know, and you, but, but you're right. We're in a place, we're in a cultural war. Right. There's no question about it. these guys are dug in about their identity yeah. of what th- this country is and the ability for us to freely talk about that is going to be key. Right. That we keep talking about it and keep talking right. about it. Go ahead, Mona. I just wanted to say, <laughs> can you see me? Like, I just want to say, <laughs> this is why the, and I love, I love Malcolm X. Yeah. I love, there, there are yeah. some key people in history that yeah. were just phenomenal. Fred Hampton, Malcolm X, yeah. uh, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer. But anyway, right. I, I do want to say uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is super important. And I know people want to jump in with Blue Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. And the reality is, um, black people seriously are at the bottom of our social hierarchy. Right. Whether people want to admit it or not, black people, uh, people, whites, non-whites have an aversion to black people and blackness. And so I'm just going to put it out there. We had this last year, our, um, our student body government cabinet was all black. There should have been like a parade yeah, for that. Absolutely. That, I mean, but it was hushed. It was kept hush hush. And not only that, what's worse is this all black officer student body was 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 treated with racism. I mean, they were not supported financially. Um, administration would not approve their um, their uh, funding proposals. Um, they couldn't even get photographs of themselves as officers um, to put up or to use um, professionally because people uh, on this college campus don't know how to take photographs of black people because black skin, or or not black skin, brown skin and dark brown skin does not photograph the same as lighter skin. And so there are so many, um, and I will say, uh, they were met with racism. And, and there's no other way to talk about it. I'm not going to say they were mistreated. I'm not going to say they, no, no, no. They were met with racism. There's no other way to talk about that. And so, you know, I think what people need to come to grips with is they have an aversion to blackness. They have a fear of black people. They don't think black people are as intelligent, kind, honest, as other groups of people. 
And so I, I need to say that yes. because this is why the Black Lives Matter movement is so important because if the people at the bottom of our social hierarchy can come to matter in this society, that is just going to help everybody else that's above them. They are at the very bottom. And I should say we are at the very bottom because I am also black. You know, I was raised um, with a, a African-American grandmother who had all this country wisdom um, but again, very aware that we were seen as less than and, and tried to teach me and my siblings, you know, how to navigate a world where we would not be valued. And so this, again, when I say this is the life, this is my lived experience, um, you know, being taught from a child that the world is not going to like you simply because your skin color. You know, this is something that black people teach their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And this is something now I'm starting to teach my five-year-old nephew because uh, even though he's Navajo and black, he presents as black and people will see his, his, you know, he is the cutest thing to me, but people will see blackness and be afraid. Now it's making me emotional. Yeah. Take it, Jaime. Take it, Jaime. <laughs> well, and there's, you know, I don't know why I was reminded of this, but but there's this constant struggle, even for us, you know, as, as, as professionals at a, at a, at an education of higher learning. When I was first hired, two things happened to me that, that made me realize, okay, Jaime, they're not gonna treat you the same as your white colleagues. One, um, I was into my job about a week, and the chair and a couple of, of professors asked me out to lunch. They were all three white men. And I thought, well, well that's kinda cool. That's nice, let's go to lunch. So we had lunch, I had already been hired, and it was what it was was another interview. They started asking me, where'd you get your degree? What'd you study? Where have you worked before? And I'm like, and I'm kind of slow on the uptake. So it didn't dawn on me till later that that's what they were doing. But right. that's what they were doing. They weren't trying to get to know me. They weren't welcoming me. They were giving me another interview. And then closely after that, I found out that one of our adjuncts, a white male, had filed suit arguing that I had been hired because I was, I was uh, a minority. Oh my goodness. And it was reverse racism. So it's like, Okay, hi, mate. Welcome to MCC. Yeah. And I know that a lot of our white colleagues, they don't have that kind of welcome, you no, know? No. The, the, the path is clear <laughs> for them. The path is open, you know, well, open arms, et cetera. And it's a constant battle. And it makes me sad that we have to teach our children how to behave because they're brown or they're black or they're native. This is how you behave in this greater white society because the white society doesn't see you as as equal and they're they're maybe afraid of you right you know and, and do you guys think we're getting at the end of the whole code shifting kind of thing like people are just tired of this no i'm not doing that anymore <laughs> um, i mean where are we at with that <sighs> yeah yeah i've been getting upset and <laughs> kind of just being my full self lately yeah <laughs> so yeah. you know but I, I i think that comes with age like i think i'm at that point where i'm like okay i've been around the block several yeah. times here uh, I'm tired. I'm not doing this. So I think part of it is age, and I think part of it is fatigue. Um, and I think, Eddie, you've, racial you, fatigue, yeah, yeah. you've talked about racial fatigue a lot. Um, so I, I, I do think, you know, I know I, I still code switch because um, because I, I know how cruel whiteness can be. I know how cruel white supremacy can be. Um, to black people, um, and it, it and it's so interesting. Jaime was talking about how the Spaniards came here and you know saw us native people as savages. All I have to do is think about the last twenty years of, of what white people have done in this country, and that's true savagery. Um, but I digress. Um, <laughs> I um, oh gosh, the the I have to code switch because it's about protecting myself. Yeah. So. In moments where I just have got to get this message out and you need to hear it, I will just be my authentic self, but I'm still code switching. It's it's about protection, I think. And and the trap there, again, like when they, when they asked people to start having these talks and, and we brought together people and people, and it was, it was you know, if you're angry or you're upset, right. like I, that just did never sit well right. with me. I'm like, right. why, now, why, now why do I have to be angry? Right. 
to talk about this stuff. So yeah. it's already putting a negative thing on me if I if I talk about it. Well, I always come into every situation angry just about. So yeah. <laughs> they were probably directing that to me. Well, no, it was like everybody. It was well, like, yeah. if you're angry, you're like, well, no, wait, just because I'm going to talk about a thing that you asked me to talk yeah. about, why does that make me angry? Yeah. It shouldn't make me angry. It should make me intelligent. You know, and so that's that thing again of looking down at people is not, you know. Well, yeah, and it's connected to privilege too. Sure. Yeah. Because they they have the privilege of not getting angry because it doesn't hit them in the gut. I had a conversation many years ago with with a a colleague in my office, and and she was very kind. She stepped in. How you doing today? And something had just happened at my kid's school where a Latino family had not been able to get the resources they needed for their son at the school. And it got to the point where the family just literally went back to Mexico. Yeah. Oh All they wanted was their kid to learn English, all right, and to get some instruction to help him. And the, the, the school, very white, ironically enough, Booker T. Washington School, uh. very white, didn't give him resources. And they left. And my wife worked at the time, and she said she could hear a collective sigh from the administration. Uh. like, he's gone. Oh They're trouble. We don't want to deal with them. So my colleagues walk in, and it's that morning, and I tell her this stuff, and she doesn't. She doesn't. She, she doesn't, doesn't understand understand. why I'm so upset, yeah. and she walks away. And I'm pretty sure she walked away thinking, "Well, Jaime is just a very angry man." That's right. And That's she could right. walk away from that conversation, and I'm left there to deal with, with my anger. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, See, it, yeah. It, it, and that that's again that psychological type of warfare i guess is falling into that trap as we're you know starting to talk about white people you know we start to you know we start to do the very same thing with this blanket stuff instead of having the freedom to deal with people on an individual level and then to distinguish between the systems that are that work right and so those things start getting tricky yeah Right. Because because we again, I just always go back to I don't want to become like the thing that I'm that that has tried to colonize or oppress me from my who I would be without without that. Right. Which is loving of everybody. I hear what you're saying, Eddie. And yeah, yeah, we we should love everyone and we should treat people as individuals. But our society is not set up that way. It is absolutely not. And when I say white people, I I do mean most white people because it is really hard for white people who grow up with a ton of privilege to step outside of that privilege and to see what it's like for a person of color. And so when I say white people, I really literally do mean most white people. Yeah. Now, there are many white people who are trying to be allies, who are, who are engaging in anti-racist work. And if they're being honest with themselves, they will tell you they are still every day trying to battle the stereotypes, the judgments that pop into their head about people of color. And so, yes, I would love to treat everybody as an individual, but we have not been socialized that way. We have been socialized to think of people by race, by gender, by their sexual orientation, by uh, levels of attractiveness, by height and weight. Like all these things are groupings, identities that we assign people and we place value on those. And you can look at research, even like levels of attractiveness. People who are considered more attractive get hired first and fired last. They make more money. People attribute positive characteristics to them where people who are um, overweight or um, it seem unattra- look unattractive or you know, shorter or are shorter. I guess that explains right. a lot for me. It's and true. You. It's true. <laughs> the, the you you get negative yeah. characteristics put on you, and you yeah. are treated differently. I can see the the difference in treatment by height, even in my department. Like the I have a colleague who's very short, and students talk at her aggressively. I rarely get that yeah. unless it's about yeah. whiteness <laughs> or white <laughs> privilege in the classroom. So, yeah. So, Mona, do you think people. because you're an expert in this field and this is what you study, are you more aware, more sensitive to these kinds of things on a, on a daily breaking it down kind of thing? I hope. I try to be. I really do try to be. So when I engage with someone, I am taking lots of factors (laughs) into consideration. I really am. Um, But again, 
life stereotypes are about shortcuts. And so I still um, succumb to stereotyping. Mm -hmm. I won't talk about the stereotype I talked about yesterday with Jaime. But <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? That's Come on, man. You can't tease <laughs> No, so I'm moving and um, I was like, Jaime, I need you at my house because, you know, everything I've seen about move, people moving stuff is from TV. I've yeah. never hired movers before. And yeah. on TV, the stereotype is they break your stuff and they steal. <laughs> steal. So I was like, Jaime, can you come to my house? I have to be out of town when the movers come. Uh. And so, again... Yeah. Because I've had it. And this is what people do. I mean, this is some of what people do. A lot of it. Uh, a lot of our stereotypes aren't just about the unknown. Um, they're about being socialized to think that way. So I do try. I really do try as a sociologist to be conscious of all the factors that are involved in communication um, that, um, you know, ways that I could be. Um, mistreating someone or uh, approaching someone because of these identities. So um, I am I am more aware, I think. And I think that's the hard part of all of this is that I can see when people are not aware and it pisses mm -hmm. me off. Right. So. Well, you've taught me, you've taught me so much about the dynamics of sociology. And I think it actually years ago led me to start in again in part of my my work in that dissertation thing was the nocebo effect, you know, that has to do with, again, true colonialism, like the dirty, drunken Indian oh. identity. Mm. When you're fighting against that or whatever, that's been the coolest story ever told, right? Because then you become those things. Yeah. And that's, again, where I'm at. Like, I want to move through this stuff and I want to talk about it, but at the same time, I don't want good people to lose their soul in the process because yeah. that's not what we were meant born to do right we were born to be who we are and to live happy and and be in harmony with the world we live in beauty above beauty below right mm -hmm. it's hard to practice those sorts of things when you're in complete constant battle right right and so that's where i keep that's where my head is at right yeah like i understand the fight been there gonna keep doing it in my own way but uh i also want to make room for us to be authentic yeah. uh we're talking about social justice whiteness we're talking about losing our souls in the process <laughs> of all of this stuff uh, which is again you know when you talk about aging that's you know i'm a grandpa you no know? i hang out with them I, I i look at my granddaughters and i see how beautiful and and just, just they're, they're so amazing yeah. and bright and smart. And I'm like, I don't want to load them down with yeah. a bunch of, you know, I want them to be happy. I want them to be free. Yeah. You know, I don't want them questioning themselves or all of that stuff. It's going to happen, you know, especially with the little one. For There's no doubt about that's coming. Um, but I do want to talk about, we talked about losing our soul in the process. Um, and for those of you that have not, ever experience what it's like to be charged to get on the front lines on social justice to disrupt a uh, institution or a system or say it like it is listen up <laughs> Jaime well we were t we were talking about code switching and you know I don't know if it's a uh, if I'm being colonized but I think the three of us in this room that we have that ability to code switch to to go into and out of cultures i don't know if it's akin to like shape-shifting <laughs> but it's something <laughs> that <laughs> it's something i've done all my life growing up on the border and it's something that i do relatively easily and i can i can i can be very mexican in mexico and i can be very white here in this country mm -hmm. uh, maybe by virtue of experience and education i can do that and i know there's a psychic cost to that uh, but when i'm my truer self here in the u.s People won't accept me as fully. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if, if I speak Spanish, mm -hmm. uh, people look at me mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, you're an English instructor. You know, why right. do you speak Spanish, right? Or, um, you know, just even wearing certain kinds of clothing. I was, my dad gave me a vest many years ago. It's a wool vest. It's very pretty. It has different colors. And I wore it to campus one day. 
And one of my colleagues said, oh, you're wearing your ethnic vest. Mm. And it, it hurt me because it was a gift from my dad to me. And she was being critical. And, you know, she was laughing it off. But I never wore it again. Mm. Uh, so if, you. if you're authentic, mm-hmm. you, you get rejected, you know, and yeah. that's part of it. So, so maybe in my own head, sometimes I just, like in my head, I'll just cuss at her in Spanish. <laughs> and that's the way, like, chinga su madre, pinche vieja. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, and I'll do that. But it, it, is, it is a constant battle. And one of the things about this country, too, and it's part of the ideology, I mean, you have to assimilate. Right. And part of it is this whole idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. And I think a lot of our faculty, for example, they expect that other students, but they ignore the fact that they they didn't pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Exactly. They had an entire system in place yeah. to help them. Right. And our students, they don't have that system right. in place. Right. So when they say pull yourself up by, by the bootstraps, they already are putting them down. Right. And right. they're not acknowledging their privilege. Right. And that complicates matters also. Right. And yeah. we never examine critically some of the underpinnings of this society because some of the underpinnings are just bad <laughs> they're very very bad yeah and it, it, it it's that's where like privilege this sense of even it's so normalized to people they don't even know they're doing i, I remember when when i got hired i walked in the room it was in august my back then i had a full head of hair and it was way <laughs> long and dark on its own and uh, and I walked in, and the chair said, yeah, "Here's our new hire, you know, Eddie." And there was like a room, uh, thirty people back then, maybe. Yeah. And and all that happened was people just turned around, they looked at me, and turned back, and that was it. There was no. And hey, now, welcome. Yeah, none, none of that. that. Oh. None of that. And now when we do it, like everybody cheers, and <sighs> and it's like this real welcoming thing. But I was like, whoa. And then like maybe a month later. Uh, Somebody had put in a note in my door that uh, when my hair wasn't braided, like I came to work a few times with my hair not braided, and they told me that I looked really uh, unprofessional and dirty. Oh, Oh, my goodness. And I was like, I remember this happening to a a faculty at Chico State. Oh, wow. Uh, Dr. Crum, who's now, well, he's probably retired, but he started that big program at UC Davis, American Indian Studies program. But I was like, that's horrible. Wow. And then there was another sticky note like that I had, and I, I kept it in my office oh. on a Goodness. file. And then one day I remember again. This is what I'm getting. Like, like back then, I was moving towards where I was at, where I'm at today. I just didn't. I wasn't. Didn't know how to do it exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I finally got there. But I was like, see, I'm giving these people energy in my life. <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah. why do I stick that note? Yeah. I, 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 then I did it as motivation, right? Like, like not comparing, but like trying to tell Michael Jordan, you know, you're not going to win or something. Yeah. It was just like that. It was motivation yeah. to build that American Indian lit program and do the stuff that we've done. But then I realized that's the wrong motivation for me. Yeah. I don't need to give that dude, or yeah. this was a woman and a guy. I don't need to give either one of them any power in my life, you know? And I also didn't know that I could have probably like turned that into yeah. HR or something yeah. like I, you know, that no. stuff never even crossed right. my mind that I had any kind of power to speak up in that way that which I do now. But, but then, again, you know, what do you do with it? But Savagery. Then, I'm just reminding yeah. you yeah. who are the savages. There you go. But the, the institution <laughs> supports them because it's happened to all of us, and I yeah, know right. people right. talk about us on campus. It's right. like, Who's that? Well, that's the angry Indian guy. Yeah. And who's that? Well, that's the angry black woman. Who's yeah. that? Well, that's the angry brown guy. There you you know? know, and that's that's yep. what we get labeled if we f- if we fight for what is rightfully ours in this institution. Yeah. There they go again. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but that's like why code switching is right. a necessity. So on the one hand, we have acculturated that is a part of losing our soul because in order to change the system, you really almost have to get into it and engage with it. And so on the one hand, yes, 
I can speak dominant American English. I can, you know, dress appropriately. I can, you know, arrive to meetings on time. But um, <laughs> I choose not to do some of those things because it's it's one of my ways of having some control over my life and being in the moment when I'm in the moment and not having to be um, ran by a clock, a machine. You know, what's important to me is this student right now or this colleague right now. And yes, I have this thing right in a few minutes, but that's going to have to wait. And so again, value systems are different. And so part of it is we have to give up some of our authentic selves to be in this institution to help because this is the world we live in. I don't live in a traditional Navajo society. None of us do. Right. So we have to figure out a way to be in this space. Um, and it's hard because you, you all are bringing up all these incidences. And I remember when I was, um, I was a faculty senator and we had a joint meeting with the department chairs and the faculty senate. And one of the department chairs in psychology stood up and said, we were talking about hiring diverse faculty. And he stood up and said, so we're going to dummy down the institution now oh. to hire diverse faculty. And yeah. I was a new faculty member, so I had my student work. I was grading. And... I heard that and I was like, wait a minute, is that what I heard? Wait, did, did he just say that? Is that what I heard? And then I looked at people's faces because I expected shock. There was no shock. So I was thinking, well, maybe I didn't hear that. And again, that's part of internalized oppression because, you know, I'm thinking no faculty member would say that about another faculty. That's right. Yeah, we're not d dumbing down. As if faculty, to hire a person of color we you're hiring somebody who's mediocre and i would argue i've been here 20 years there are more f white faculty than people of color there are more mediocre white faculty at mcc than <laughs> mediocre people of color because people of color we have to work harder we have to perform we have to do so much more just to get our foot in the door so to that person like if Today, we would have that conversation. <laughs> like, really? Seriously? Let's, let's take a look. Because, you know, I talk to students. I know who's doing what. Not everybody, but I know who the mediocre faculty are. We all do. We know who our mediocre colleagues are. That's right. And they're predominantly white mm -hmm. because it's a predominantly white college. And, you know, whoever listens to this, you can take offense. Come to my office. We can talk. <laughs> we can meet in person. Don't send me a flaming email because yeah. people say a lot of stuff in the email. And then when you come to their office doors and talk, they don't want to talk. Right. So, um, <laughs> again, this code switching is part of how we survive in an institution like this. We can't survive without code switching. But we also have to get back into our communities um, because our communities, to me, are our our sanctuaries where we get built up, where we, like Jaime said, we can breathe. Um, so. Yeah. Well, and, and in terms of, of code switching, you know, I know that our white colleagues code switch too. Mm -hmm. You know, they leave home, they come to campus, or, or, or if it's a, a man, he has to do certain things on campus that maybe he does, doesn't do certain things on campus that he feels more free doing at home, whatever that may be, or a woman, whatever we all. But for us, it's a greater code switch, and it takes a lot more energy. Yeah, we have to continue this conversation. We're out of time on this episode. Our lights are dimming, flickering. Dimming. <laughs> cameras are, cameras are flittering. I thought I he see. was doing that. No, no, no. We, we schedule these for 50, but this is so good. Everybody, Eddie Webb, we are here at the New Media Lab at Mesa Community College with Dr. Mona Scott, Professor Jaime Herrera. We are talking about social justice issues. Um, this has been a great conversation. Thank you, Eddie. Thank I you. hope yeah. we can do this again yeah, one, cool. one or two more times before the end of the semester. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, because I think it is so, so very important for people to hear, you know, these, these conversations and how to, how to move forward. Don't go hunt ye on the Galea We'll see you again, and I am grateful that you all showed up. Gracias, Eddie. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Peace, everyone. Hey, take care of each other.
Royalty-Free Audio, Grinoline Dreams by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can find more of his work at incompetech.com. The Maricopa County Community College District, MCCCD, is an EEO-AA institution and an equal opportunity employer of protected veterans and individuals with disabilities. All qualified applicants will receive consideration for employment without regard to race, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, age, or national origin. A lack of English language skills will not be a barrier to admission and participation in the career and technical education programs of the district. The Maricopa County Community College District does not discriminate on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, disability, or age in its programs or activities. For Title IX 504 concerns, call the following number to reach the appointed coordinator. 480-731-8499. For additional information, as well as the listing of all coordinators within the Maricopa College System, please visit maricopa.edu slash non-discrimination.